Turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24. This is going to be a little bit different for the first time since I've been preaching in three years. We're going to skip some verses. I know. I hope that you uh, either read them, read the chapters already, or that you'll go home and you'll read them. We're going to be looking at Exodus 24.12 all the way through the end of 27. And it's not that it's too long to read, but it's long and it's something maybe an engineer would appreciate. Uh, a lot of details about rings and clasps and tent poles and curtains. But I think it's, it's difficult to read and sort of get the sense of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to read select verses out of it to, to represent the rest and try to get the sense of the whole passage in a way that doesn't distract us. So Exodus 24, we're going to start in verse 12. Now remember, this is last week we talked about the elders and Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai and had a meal with God. Sort of the summit, the pinnacle of the Israelites' life is eating a meal. This is immediately after, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments, which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. If you remember, Aaron and Hur were the ones who held Moses' arms up in the battle. That's, that's who they were. Uh, then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In that 40 days and 40 nights, God's going to give him instructions for what we call the tabernacle. So Sinai, when they went up there, they had a meal with God, they saw God, they enjoyed his fellowship, his presence. That's great. But what's next? They weren't going to stay at Sinai. They were going to move off. So how do you take that experience at Sinai when you leave Sinai, when you leave the mountain? So God is going to tell Moses, here's how you do it. You're going to replicate Sinai with a tent. The word tabernacle means tent. You're going to replicate it. God has said, remember when they looked up, they went to the mountain, they saw God, and there was a sapphire stone pavement as clear as the sky. It was the beauty of heaven. Well, then they go down the mountain, they go out in the desert. And if there's one thing the desert is not, it's beautiful. There's just not a lot of variety out there. A lot of browns. Uh, every now and then you'll have a little bit of color, but mostly it's just brown. The ground's brown. The sky is brown. The plants are even brown. So God says, I'm going to transfer the beauty you saw on the mountain to the beauty in the tabernacle. Life is ugly. There's a lot of ugly things in this world. Physically ugly and otherwise. One uh, non-Christian uh, philosopher, Heidegger, said, 
Humans are homeless, alienated, radically out of place, profoundly lonely. Think about Israel. They're in the wilderness, the essence of being without a home. They're they're lonely, they're, they're lost, as it were. And so God says, I'm going to give you something that gives you a place. What gives them a place? God's presence with them. So God showed, in this passage we're going to see through these these three or four chapters, God showed his beauty to his people by dwelling with them. But he concealed his beauty from them because of sin. But he also made a way that they could see his beauty. When we say that God's glory, it says here in verse uh, 24 and verse 16, now the glory of the Lord... Verse 17, now the sight of the glory of the Lord. That's God's essence. Now, most of the time, we think of God's essence in terms of fire and destruction. But remember last week when they went up past the cloud, past the thunder and the the lightning, what did they see? They saw beauty. You see, we only see God as fearful because we're on the wrong side of things. When you get close to God in a relationship with God, you see the beauty of God. The glory of God reveals itself as beauty, not fire. And so... God says, I'm going to give you something that's beautiful. So God then gives Moses a bunch of instructions, very detailed. But he doesn't give them enough details to actually reconstruct what he's saying here. Has anyone ever seen the reconstruction of the tabernacle? I think some of us a decade or two ago went up into a life-size one. Here's the problem with all of those. If you follow the instructions here, it won't work. It'll fall down. Some key structural details are left out of all these passages. Because the point is not to tell you actually how to build the tabernacle. God showed Moses that. It's to give us the significance of it. So he includes details that are significant and leaves out details that aren't. God's point here is to show his beauty to his people in a way that they could take it with them. Through the wilderness. Portable Mount Sinai. So the first thing he does is the most important. He says, build an ark. In verse 10, chapter uh, 25, verse 10, and they shall make an ark. Ark means box. They shall make a box of acacia wood. That's a wood that grows in the desert. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. So basically four by two, something like that. We're not exactly sure how long a cubit is. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and you shall make it and a molding of gold all around it. Make a pure gold box, four feet wide. Have you ever seen that much gold at one time? Now, what is this ark for? In the ark goes something special. It goes the covenant. It's called the ark of the covenant. Why? Because the covenant's in it. You see, if God wants to be with man, what's the basis for that? The basis for God's presence with man is an agreement with God. God says, I'll be with you. If you keep my law, I'll be your God. There's the cup. There's the tie between Israel and God. And so the very center of the tabernacle is a pure gold box with the covenant in it. Everything God does is centered around that covenant. That covenant provides the basis for God's relationship. But then he says, build a table. Verse 23, you shall also make a table of wood. Two cubits shall be its length and a cubit its width. It's about four by one and a cubit and a half its length. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make the molding of gold all around. You know that table we have down here? Imagine that 
but covered in gold. And on that table, he says in verse 30, uh, 29 and 30, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Showbread can also be translated the bread of presence. You see, God says, I want to show you how great I am. So make a pure gold table and put bread on it. Why? Because the beauty of God is that he cares for his people. It's hard to enjoy beauty when you're starving to death, isn't it? Have you ever been so hungry and you get your meal and you just have to take a picture of it? You've seen all these pictures people take of their food? Why? Because food is beautiful. It, It sustains us. We enjoy it. So God says, make a table of gold and put on a piece of bread called the showbread, the bread of presence, revealing God's care for his people. Appreciate what God has done for them. But it gets better. He said, make a lamp. You ever been inside of a tent? It's really dark in there. So he says, make a lamp. But not just any lamp. So verse 31, you should also make a lampstand of pure gold. How much gold? So when we think of, have you ever seen a Jewish uh, ceremony? They have the menorah, which is like the six candles. That's what he's talking about here. We always see them about that big. But if you look down at verse 27, it says, you shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange the lamp so that it gives light in front of it. In verse 39, it shall be made of a talent of pure gold. Now, we don't use a talent, but a talent is 75 pounds. Have you ever seen anything made out of 75 pounds of gold? That's a big candle. That thing was the size of a man. 75 pounds of pure gold lit by oil lamps shining forward to give light. And it was set directly across from the showbread, from the bread of presence. So it shone on that golden table. And then he says, make this inner, he said, here's what the tabernacle itself is going to look like. All right, so that's the furniture. Here's the tabernacle itself. Verse 20, chapter 26 and verse 1, moreover you shall make the tabernacle, the tent, with ten curtains of fine woven linen. Linen is sort of a very high quality. It's very hard to make. But it's very durable. It's very cool in summer. White, fine woven linen, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread, which with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. This is the inside of the tent. Tall sheets of white linen with beautiful angels woven into them. So when you walk, so this is what you're imagining. You walk into this tabernacle, high ceilings on this tent with white linen curtains, it's lit by candlelight, and there's gold everywhere. The, the bars holding everything up, the framework, was all covered in gold. So imagine the, the feeling you would walk in, dimly lit, as it were, gold reflecting everywhere off every corner, huge mountains of gold. It was to give a sense of heaven, as much as you could in the desert, to walk into a golden room with angels everywhere. God says, this is how you should feel when you're in my presence. So often we view Christianity as sort of Spartan, the Puritans, kind of aesthetic, just or aesthetic. Everyone's sort of buckling down. But look at the extravagance God has here. Just the extravagance of his place of dwelling. God cares so much about art and beauty that he says, make it exactly like this. I'm going to show you pictures, he, told, he tells Moses. Make me a place that is beautiful, that is artistically designed. I want to dwell with you, God says, 
and I want it to be done in style. But we need to remember where the setting is. See, the word tabernacle sounds great, but it just means tent. It just happens to be a really big tent with some gold stuff in it. But God, remember the previous page, he's in heaven on this pure sapphire stonework. And that's just where he stands. Now what is he doing? He's saying, I'm going to come down to the dirt and camp out with you. He's camping out with the Israelites. They live in tents. He says, okay, I'll live in a tent with you. I'll sit down right in the middle of your camp on the dirt floor, leave heaven, come down to your dirt floor, and camp out with you for your sake. I mean, when we go camping, we don't even have a dirt floor. We have an air mattress and rugs on the floor and pillows and blankets and tables and chairs. God's like, no, I'll do it like you do it. He says, I'll come down with you, condescend down to your level, and camp out with you. See, this is exactly what Jesus did. John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, his beauty, the beauty, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what's interesting, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt. You know what the word dwelt means? Set up a tent. The word dwell there means tabernacle. It means to camp out. A deliberate connection. It's saying, remember when God had that tent that he camped out with you? Now Jesus is doing it in the flesh, coming down to our level. Just like that tent showed God's glory with the gold and the artistic designs, so Christ shows God's glory in his flesh. And it doesn't seem like much, but it's as much as we could handle. So when you say, what is God like? You look at Jesus, God in the flesh, God pitching a tent in our camp. Now, why would he do that? It's not camping out in heaven. You don't rough it in heaven. Jesus came down to rough it with us. Hebrews 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets through the tabernacle in one way, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who is appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, being the brightness of his glory, like that candle, that 75-pound worth of gold, and the express image of his person. Jesus came to this earth to show us what God looks like, not to enjoy himself. There was no benefit to Jesus setting up camp with us. It was all for our benefit. It was all to say this world is an ugly place and people are ugly in it. But look at Jesus. A spot of beauty, a spot of goodness, of grace, of perfection in a world that has none of it. There's no one in this world that you can really trust. There's no one in this world that does the right thing. There's no one in this world that looks out for you. And so God says, I'll send somebody. I'll send some beauty into your desert. Set up camp, and he'll live with you. And he'll be the express image of God. That's what the tabernacle was. It wasn't a bunch of cool stuff. It was God showing himself to his people for their sake. But what's also interesting is though God shows his beauty by being with his people, he also shields his beauty from his people. So he builds this beautiful sanctuary with these linen curtains and this gold. But then, in, verse 20, in chapter 26 and verse 7, he covers it all up. He says, you shall also make curtains of goat's hair. 
to be a tent over the tabernacle. You should make 11 curtains. Verse 14, you should make a covering of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. But wait, linen curtains embroidered with beautiful angels? He says, no, cover it all up. Put goat's hair on top of it. You can't look at it. But those beautiful, the lights and the gold, he's like, put something over so no one can see it. So when you looked at the tabernacle, there was a dark image with just animal skins over it. God says, I'm going to be with you, but you're not good enough to be with me. So I'm going to have my glory on earth, but I'm going to cover it up. There was a courtyard around it. Chapter 27 and verse 9, it says, you shall also make the court of the tabernacle. It's an eight-foot wall around the entire thing. Another barrier from seeing God's glory, from seeing the beauty. He says, put a tent around, put a, put a wall around everything. But he goes further. He says, put a door on the tabernacle so you don't even get to look inside as you're walking past it. Chapter 26, in verse 36, he says, and you shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet. He says, cover the door so no one can see inside. All that beauty, and no one gets to see it. And what was the center of the tabernacle? That four-foot golden box with two angels on top? He said, put another veil in front of that. So that double covered. In chapter 26, and verse 31, and you shall make a veil woven of blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with the artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it up on four pillars of asasia wood overlaid with gold. Why? So you couldn't see the Ark of the Covenant. Now it's interesting. What was on this veil? Cherubim. The only the first time this is mentioned before this, the only other time before this, the cherubim are seen at the Garden of Eden. Where God says, Adam and Eve, you sinned, get out of my garden. And he set two cherubim there. He set a cherubim with a flaming sword. And he said, if you try to go back in, it'll kill you. So he puts this cherubim and says, remember, you weren't allowed in because of sin. You're not allowed in here either. God's glory on earth, but no one's allowed in. The angels guarding it saying, you're not good enough to see God's beauty. You see the paradox here? God says, I want to be with you, but you can't come in. Let the angel remind you that they will cut you in half because you're not worthy. Man, desperate for something, cut off from God. C.S. Lewis says this still represents us. He says our inconsolable secret, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off to be on the inside of some door which we've always seen from the outside. That's what we're talking about here. To get back to the Garden of Eden where you were on the inside, yet the tabernacle, everything about it says you're on the outside. And you look at that door and every one of us is looking at something and we feel it. We're on the outside, aren't we? There's a door that we can't get in. We're cut off from beauty. So what does God do? He says, I want to share my beauty. How does God share his beauty with us? He's perfect, we're not. 
were cut off. Well, he says, make something else. Make a bronze altar. Verse chapter 27, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square. And you know where they put it? Outside of the tabernacle. Not inside with the beauty. Not inside with the gold. Outside the tabernacle where the people could get to it. If you put the altar inside the tabernacle, no one can get to it. So God says, I'll put it out where you are. So you can come to the altar, you can give your sacrifice, and now there's a connection. The altar is outside so that you have access to it. And once you have access to the altar, you have access to the sacrifice, and then you have the mercy seat. You see, the Ark of the Covenant has the law in it. And the law that God made, the covenant that he could be with people, is the very reason they couldn't be with him, because they broke it. And so this, this altar, this, this Ark of the Covenant with its two angels facing each other, two cherubim, was where God would come down and sit. But there's the law right beneath him so that no one can approach him. And so the priest would take the sacrifice and sprinkle blood on the seat so that when God looked down at the altar, at the Ark of the Covenant, he didn't see the covenant. He saw the blood. And now he can descend. He says, I will meet with you on the Ark of the Covenant after you sprinkle blood on it. God doesn't compromise himself, but yet he makes a way. He says, I want to talk to you, Moses, but I can't talk to you the way you are. So kill something and put its blood on the altar. Put his blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And when I see the blood, then I'll meet with you. But you know what all of this says? Only the priest got in. The people never saw the inside of the tabernacle. Only the priest did. If you lived in Israel, you never saw the inside. You would give your sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would go inside. And then to see the Ark of the Covenant, one man got to see that one time a year. So the entire nation of Israel lived off the word of somebody else. They said, God is with us. I know because the priest told me. He saw it. But the people stayed outside. You see, we say, man, wouldn't it be great to see the tabernacle? Not really. There's such a limitation to it. Remember Mount Sinai? Who got to go up to Mount Sinai to see God? Only the elders. And so God shows his beauty and makes a way, but only for a select few. So God says, that's not good enough, is it? I'll make a better way. So Jesus makes a better tabernacle and makes a better sacrifice. This sacrifice lets everybody in. Everybody gets to see the beauty of God. Hebrews chapter 9 says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, lets that priest in, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. As beautiful as that tabernacle was, only one guy got to see it one time a year. This new covenant, Jesus says, everybody's welcome. Pull back the curtain. 
Rip the curtain down so you can see the beauty of God. How? Through blood, but the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. Now you get to go in. Now we get to experience God's beauty in a way that they did not. Sometimes we think, wow, the glory of God rested on the mountain and they saw it. Wasn't that amazing? Not really. What we're doing right now at this very moment is infinitely better than what they saw at Mount Sinai. You're experiencing God right now in a way that they never could. They didn't have the blood of the Lamb. We do. We can access God's presence in a way that they never could. This is why when you preach the Old Testament, you have to go to the New Testament. The Old Testament leaves you waiting. It leaves you outside the tabernacle. But the New Testament brings you in. Jesus makes a better way. And yet, we still are waiting. You see, God said he would share his beauty with us. But I don't see it. I believe it. It's true in my spirit. I know that I have spiritual access to the throne of God. But it still looks terrible. You see, Christianity is so often presented as believe in Jesus and be saved, and that's the Christian life. That's only part of it. There's more and better to come. You see, the blood of Christ grants us access, but it doesn't bring us to the end. That comes when he comes back for us. There's a longing built into Christianity. If you think Christianity is going to make you comfortable on this earth, it'll do the opposite. It'll tell you that this world is worse than you think, but there's something better than you can imagine. You see, the very idea of there's something being visible makes you want to see it. I want to see not just the Spirit of God. I want to see the actual throne of God. I want to see beautiful things, not without God, but because of God. Hebrews chapter 10 Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, but only spiritually. We have access to God, but spiritually. You see, when they looked into the tabernacle, when we look into it, we long for more, don't we? When we look around at our world and our families and our jobs and our bodies, we long for more. See, a lost person said this, beauty is unbearable. It drives us to despair. Offering us for a minute the glimpse of eternity that we should like to stretch out over the whole of time. So there's a longing in us that there's something more than this world. So often we try to replace it with things in this world. If we just get married, that'll satisfy us. Because marriage is beautiful. God created marriage. It's like that candelabra. It's like that, that table of gold. If we could just see it, that'll make us happy. If we could just have money, if we could just have health, the beautiful things that God has created, and if we could just stretch those out forever, make them last forever, but it just leaves us with more longing. They fail us, and we're like, there's got to be something more. There is something more. He didn't save us to leave us in an ugly world. He didn't save us to leave us here forever. You see, it says, therefore, brother, having boldness to enter by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Well, if it's a confession of our hope, that means we don't have it yet. If you're telling people become a Christian because this is your best life now, where's the hope? 
What are you waiting? What are you looking forward to? He says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he is he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in, in order to stir up love and good works. Why? Because everything in this world tells us to do the opposite. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, we always have heard this as you better be in church. No, it's saying the opposite. It's saying you get to be in church because they're going to remind you that there's a day approaching where everything gets fixed. Who's going to tell you that things are going to get better? Your boss? No. Christians are going to tell you that. They're going to tell you so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day when God fixes everything. The hope that we have. You don't get that at home by yourself. You come to church so you can be reminded things are going to get better. Things are looking up. You can't see it. And so you come here and you listen to me tell you. And then you tell each other. Corporate worship is so important because you can't see God working. You have to be told he's working. You have to be told that sickness and death and sorrow is going to go away one day. What is that day approaching? Revelation 21 tells us, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Finally fulfilling what Exodus was glimpsing at. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. God himself will be with them and be their God. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lord Lamb are its temple. There's no more fences. There's no more gates. There's no more barriers. And the city had no need of a sun or of the moon to shine in it. There's no, no lampstand. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor it. Its gates shall not be shut at all. Its gates shall not be shut at all. There's no screen over the beauty. You see, this flesh that we live in is a veil over God's beauty. Within it, within our spirits, it's real. But the flesh covers it and distracts us. But in heaven, there are no gates. There are no screens. We share in God's beauty. If you don't believe that, you're going to be perpetually disappointed. You're always going to be looking for something. You'll always be longing and searching and never finding what you need. But if you believe it, then you have a hope that can never be changed. A hope that things are going to be okay. That the door is going to be open. You see, it's not just seeing beauty. Lewis says we do not want, merely want to see beauty. We don't just want to see the Ark of the Covenant. We want something else which can hardly be put into words to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. When you look at a sunset, it's just never enough. When you see artwork, when you see children playing, it's just never enough. As beautiful it is, is, as it is, it's never enough. You need to be a part of it. You see, God doesn't just promise spiritual connection. He promises to be united with beauty. 
1 Corinthians 3. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. When you see God, he changes you. And the more clearly you see God, the more you're changed. And we all have been changed. But imagine in heaven, where you see him face to face, what that will do to you. From glory to glory. Christianity preaches hope. Not just put your head down and bear it out, but look forward to something that rises you above this world. See, this world is tough, and it's ugly, and it captures your imagination. And all you can do is think about all the bad stuff that will probably happen. But Christianity says, look up. Look to heaven. Look to what's promised to you. God promised to make everything okay, and Jesus proves that he will. Lewis says, at present, we are outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of mourning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with a rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, we shall get in. Let's pray.